Well, good morning, everybody. Today we are going to be continuing our study on the attributes of God, and today we're going to be part two of the goodness of God. But before we do that, let's just open with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for everything you do for us, and I just pray that as we look at your goodness right now, we would take a step back and clear our mind from the things of this world, and that we would be focused on who you are, and focus on particularly your goodness and see what we can learn about that and also how we can apply that to our lives. And we just thank you for everything you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, if you watched the video, you'll remember that we were discussing the goodness of God and we were defining this, the goodness of God and then we also talked about how it applied to all creatures. And I want to take a second to recap on defining the goodness of God. And I want to do this particularly because as I was thinking about the goodness of God, I was thinking about the word good. Because today, in America at least, or myself, I don't really have a good perception of the word, of the word good, particularly as it applies to God. Because when we say the word good, it's kind of like almost uh, mediocre or that kind of thing, right? Because we'll say something is either poor, okay, good, excellent, perfect. That's kind of the progression we have. So good is kind of in the middle somewhere there. there. But when we're talking about God, that is not what we are meaning. God is not just good from that standpoint of view. We need to take a look and define, right, the goodness of God and what that means. So, in God, goodness is that which makes him perfect, okay? And so we could look at Exodus 34, 6 through 7, which says this. These are the things, uh, um, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That is the New King James Version. So he is abounding in goodness and truth. This is his generosity. He's abounding in it. But also all of those things that we mentioned culminate to the fact that God is good and perfect. It is that he is merciful, he is gracious, he is long-suffering. All of those things and more are the goodness of God. J.I. Packer puts it this way about God's goodness. He says, it is the focal point of God's moral perfection. It is the quality which determines all of God's other excellencies. Um, how all of God's other excellencies are to be displayed, right? It is the quality which determines how all of God's other excellencies are to be displayed, right? And so we did define it last week, but I wanted to like double down on it, so to speak, and make sure that we're fully understanding that we have a good in this world, but we aren't just talking about the fact that God is good. We are talking about that we are talking about the perfection of God's goodness, all right? So then we kind of moved on and talked about who God is good to, and we kind of were talking about all of creation, right? Everything God is good to. Um, and it doesn't have just some goodness, it has the fullness of it. The, it says, right, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. That's Psalm 33, 5. 
God's goodness is also the reason we or anything else is alive, right? And we kind of talked about last week, do we at one point were nothing and now we're something and does what was nothing deserve anything? And so, and then we kind of concluded with Tozer saying, you can answer every expression with God in his goodness willed it and God out of his kindness willed it. And so God is good to everything because everything is alive. And if you are alive, you're only alive because of God's goodness. And so that's all things, right? All creatures, I'll say. And so what about unbelievers, right? We need to take a closer look at this. Are, do unbelievers have some of God's goodness on them? And so we would call this common grace. And there's two different things, right? We have common grace and special grace. And we'll get to both of those, but we'll focus on to common grace. And common grace is God's good grace even to his enemies. And this is a lot of thing, right? We already talked about life, life and the preservation of life. That is God's common grace. Um, it's your vacations, it's your job, health, wealth, every single breath you take, that is because of God's common grace. And obviously when you think about breathing, all living things breathe, therefore all things are under God's common grace. We can see this pretty clearly in Matthew 5:45. And it says this, So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust, right? So we're all part of this world. God sends rain on all of us, and God also makes the sun rise and sunset on all of us. Those things are part of God's common grace, the fact that we are alive. And so his common grace is over all. But when you think about this, we have to ask the question, why does it sometimes appear like God has, or I'll say that unbelievers have it better off in this world than believers, right? Sometimes that seems kind of strange and inevitably you will ask yourself that question one day. Maybe you'll see someone really famous and maybe they kind of might be an evil person. You think, why does he have so much in this world? Why does it seem like he's blessed, as some people might say? Well, we need to take a look at this. And we can answer this question through Psalm 73. So turn there. And when you do, we'll read verses 1 through 2, which says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, right? So he's stumbling and he's slipping. This is a guy who's um, going through a little bit of a rough time, I will say. So then what we really need to focus on is verses 3 through 16. And he's talking about the world and their plentitude. And so read some of this. It says, For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw their prosperity of the wicked. So he's seeing the prosperity of wicked people here and he's saying, how can this be? He says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out, of, swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies, right? So we get the point. He's looking at them. 
He's looking at these wicked people and he's saying, wow, they look like they have a plentitude of everything. How is it that they are like this? They are not stricken like the rest of mankind, as he says in verse 5. How to understand this, right? Because then he gets to verse 16. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. And so he's really asking themselves, how, why is this? You know, he knows God is in control of all things, that he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, uh, omniscient um, and all of that. And he's saying, how? How is God having this happen in the world? Um, and so he's asking this question, it's a logical question. But then we get to verse 17, and this is what he says, right? So he says, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end, right? Then he went into the sanctuary of God. And so he's getting a better perspective of the world through God's eyes. And the rest of 17 through 28 is really um, helpful for us to look at to continue on. He says, truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. The, the prosperity that they have now is not a prosperity that will last forever, right? How, ha how, they, have how they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Then verse 23, it says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. And then he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on this earth that I desire besides you, right? Comparatively to the world who has this prosperity, maybe now one day they will fall to ruin. But I myself, this is the psalmist, he says, I am continually with you. I will always be with you. That is because we have an eternal God, right? We looked at that. We will eternally be with God the Father. So our momentary affliction doesn't seem so bad after all. He says, you hold my right hand, right? And then the 25 is a verse that I personally love so much because it's so revealing of his heart, how he gets to this conclusion he says, and there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And this is the way that a Christian should think about life. When you think about it, you look at all the prosperity in the world and all these people want these different things and all these people have all these different things. But as a believer in God, we should be saying, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. And since we already have that, we have God as our personal Lord and Savior, if you're a believer, then you have everything you would ever want. And the thing that you have is going to last for eternity. It is not momentary gain like the rest of the world. And so then we kind of close with verses 27 through 28 here. And he says, For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And so it is good for him to be near to God. What a wonderful statement. So again, it may seem like the world has 
a plentitude of wealth and you may look at it pondering sometimes how can this be just but we just have to remember the wonderful riches we have in God through Christ Jesus and so because of that our desires aren't for anything in this world nothing at all except we desire to be with God so and therefore we must tell of his good works and so that is how we need to approach God's common grace on unbelievers, right? So he does, but then we kind of need to move to special grace and kind of talk about that, right? Believers, um, he has his grace on us, both spiritual and material. Um, so we can read Psalm 84, 11 through 12, which says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And then similarly, we can look at Matthew seven eleven, which says this. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And Pastor Bill will be looking at that in another few weeks here, but right, we get the picture. If we know how to give good gifts here on earth, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? So he is truly our provider, meaning that he does provide for us. And he delights in doing so to, for his glory, right? So we talked about common grace, right? That's a lot of that, all the things in this life that's kind of on everybody. But special grace is kind of what we need to talk to and focus on here. So special grace is the salvation through Jesus Christ, right? This is special only to those who believe in Jesus Christ. So common grace is the life and preservation of it, and special grace is salvation through Jesus Christ. So J.I. Packer puts it this way, and I really like this quote. Try to memorize this if you can. It says, God is good to all in some ways, and to some all ways. Right? So God is good to some good, or God is good to all in some ways, and to some all ways. So, that's kind of the summation there of common and special grace. So, why did he come to die for us? That's a question we could ask. And that's a question that we kind of get asked every once in a while. Why would an almighty, powerful, we've been learning about all of his attributes, and you think about all of those, and you say, why would he come to die for us? And, well, the answer is because he is good, right? He is a good God. And so we are saved by grace out of the goodness of God. Um, he saved us not because of anything we did, right? We learned that from Ephesians 2, 8-9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So it's nothing that we did, it's purely out of God and his goodness, out of his grace for us. And this is both in Old Testament and New Testament, right? Anyone who has ever been saved has been saved through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, out of his pure goodness, because he is rich in mercy.
So, with that, we are going to close in a word of prayer. And I just want you to be thinking about all the blessings that God has given us, right? He has given us this common grace, the life and preservation of it. He has given us, at least me in my own life, and I'm sure many of you, more than you need. You could say a plentitude of everything. And we need to be thanking God and praising Him for it. Everything is for the glory of God, right? But we especially need to praise and thank Him for that special grace for those of you who are believers. That He came and died for your sins. Um, there's nothing more important than that. And our desire, as the psalmist said, should be on Him. All that we desire should be for God. The rest of this world doesn't matter. Just God. And so with that, we're going to close in a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you for everything that you do for us. We thank you that you have given us so many things in this world and that you are our provider. Um, you know exactly what we need and when we need it. And you give us enough to live in this world and to praise and thank you for it. And I just pray that as we go through this day and through the rest of our lives, we would always be acknowledging all the wonderful things that you have given us in this world and especially praising and thanking you for coming and dying on the cross and taking our sins and raising again the third day and we just pray that we never tire of hearing about you and your word and the gospel and I just pray that we would not only be continually remembering it but continually sharing that with other people. We just thank you for everything that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do in this world. In Jesus' name.